Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 90 and we are recording on July 18th. I'm Amanda Nelson and I'm here with Jen Northington and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Woo! Woo woo! Episode 90, that's... I was that's, just thinking we're only 10 away from 100. We need to come up with something to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've been like noodling on, on different ideas for our I, We have an episode. idea. Yeah, Remember? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. I was like, wait, I thought we had one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess everyone can look forward to... Yeah, stay tuned <laughs> for our secret 100th episode excitement. So what are you reading right now? I am still reading The Rise and Fall of Dodo, the Neil Stevenson, Nicole Galland book. Um, it is long. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm surprised. You don't usually have the same book. Uh, well, twice, and I also read like four other things this week, so, oh. you know. <laughs> I, I mean, I read a bunch of other stuff, but I'm going to talk about it later. So yeah. mm-hmm. we'll just talk about the one that I'm still reading. I'll probably still be reading it next week. I'll, I promise to have something new for next week. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Um, I just started uh, Warbringer, which is Leigh Bardugo's Wonder Woman book that comes out in, uh, I don't know, actually, August or September. I'm sorry. I don't remember. But um, it's like a, it's a YA Wonder Woman book. And it's so much fun so far. Um, I've only like three chapters in, but Diana is great. And the Amazons are, you know, I mean, it's just, it's very, it has a very similar feeling to the movie. Um, so three chapters in, so I can't really express an opinion, but I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Talk Yay. about your personal wheelhouse, Wonder Woman and Lee Bardugo. <laughs> I know. I love Lee Bardugo. Like, I I don't know that I necessarily would have tapped her to write a Wonder Woman novel for some, for know, some reason. Right? Like, it seems yeah. more, I don't, I mean, it's not Russian. And in my head, that's what she writes. <laughs> it's like Russian stuff based on Russian culture. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's working out. I'm liking it. All right. So, like I said, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So, if you have a you know a book recommendation that you need for yourself or someone else for a gift or your book club or whatever, you can send them to us. Uh, you can email them to us at getbooked@bookwrite.com, or you can drop them in the form uh, at the bottom of the show notes on this site. If you uh, have a time-sensitive question, like you need a recommendation by X date, please put that in the subject line of the email or at the very first line of um, the, the form, if you're using the form, so that we can see it and try to answer it on time. We might email you back instead of answering the question on the show if it's a question we've already answered on the show before, um, or if it's time-sensitive and we don't think we're going to get to it in time, then um, we will email you. So keep an eye on your inboxes. All right, that is how the show works. So we're going to read our first question, do our first sponsor, and get rolling. Okay, our first question is from Erica, who says, I am moving to Arizona this fall and would love some good atmospheric books about the desert. I'm open to reading fiction, any genre, YA or nonfiction. Bonus points for women authors. Okay, so before we answer that question, we're going to talk about our first sponsor, which is a book called I Got There by J.T. McCormick, which I poked around and read some of the Amazon reviews for this book, and um, some people have 
call or like calling it a modern day Dickens tale, which right, so I think is, yeah, like that's all right. Hey, um, so it's a memoir. Uh, JT McCormick, the author was born, um, to a struggling single mother and a really negligent father who was a drug dealer. Um, he was mixed race and had to deal with li- growing up in poverty in Ohio. Um, he suffered really, really terrible abuse and racism. He was in, uh, he went to ju- juvenile, uh, juvenile detention several times, um, barely got out of high school. So he had, you know, like a really tough beginning in in life. Um, and then he worked hard to succeed and kind of pull himself out of that situation. Um, so he started off working in the mortgage industry, and we all know how that turned out a couple of years ago. Uh, he lost his job, all of his income, all of his savings. And then uh, he kind of used that opportunity to turn it around and start a software company. And so this is, you know, a, a like pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of tale of overcoming uh, and getting out of a, a really terrible uh, childhood situation and making something else out of your life, despite the circumstances that you're born into. So go check that out if you're into, you know, those kinds of like, I can do all things memoirs, which are really, um, I don't like, what's the word I'm looking for? Not persevering is not a, that's not a word. Determination. Um, yeah, something like that. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I'm like, what are words? Words have I'm meaning. Like, let me just spew synonyms at you for a minute. <laughs> one of them is going to end up being the one that I was looking for. All right, so thank you for sponsoring the show. You can go check that out. It's I Got There by J.T. McCormick. Okay, I'll just keep going. So I really liked this question because I realized I hadn't actually read many books about the desert, but I love the desert. Like, it's probably my favorite natural landscape um, because it's, like, so harsh and unfriendly and just does not care if you're there or not, which I I don't know. (laughs) I I find that charming. Um, So uh, I, like, did a little bit of digging, and I started the book that I'm going to recommend. I'm about halfway through it, and it's Red by Terry Tempest Williams. If you have listened to the show or been on Book Riot for any period of time, then you know that we are all, you know, very team Terry Tempest Williams uh, as an author. And I have not read her more environmental or nature-focused stuff. I'd read When Women Were Birds, which is her memoir about losing her mother um, to cancer. So this, the subtitle of this book is Passion and Patience in the Desert. So this is her, uh, it's not about Arizona, it's about the desert of Utah, specifically the Red Rock Wilderness which is like the canyon country of southern Utah. And so it's a collection of essays that's both about... She wrote this book during the Bush administration. So it's both about that administration's attempt to dismantle the Clinton administration's environmental protections placed on the desert uh, wilderness of Utah. And um, so it's part politics, but then it's mixed in with essays that are about like the spirituality of the desert and like ruminations on what desert tortoises can teach you and like finding... Uh, Pueblo, uh, what, Puebloan? I don't even know how you would say that. Uh, artifacts made by the Pueblo Native Americans uh, on her like hikes and wandering around in the desert and forgetting your water. Like these very personal and introspective um, ruminations on what the desert means to her as a human being and a, an American, because you know the desert is very much like an embodiment of the spirit of America to um, to Terry Tempest Williams. So that combined with like the um, our responsibility or what is our responsibility as people who are encroaching on this wilderness to preserve it or not. Um, so it's, it looks at the desert from a lot of different angles, but is all tied up in humanity's um, interactions with it. So if you're moving out there or going out there and you've never really been in the desert, I think this would be like a nice introduction to life in that area. So that's Red, Passion and Patience in the Desert by Terry Tempest Williams. 
I have fond memories of Arizona, even though it is too hot there, <laughs> at least in like the part of Arizona. There's some nice parts of Arizona, believe it or not. But um, but I, some of my favorite hiking I've ever done is at South Mountain, which has just like great dusty rocky trails. Uh, anyway, I, I didn't have time to find you an Arizona-specific one, but I do have a good one that starts in California, and then I don't remember where the desert is where they end up. It's Gold Fame Citrus by Claire Vey Watkins, which is sort of a near future about a couple who are doing okay in like the post economic collapse situation that they find themselves in. They're like camped out in um, a, like a former starlet's house in Arizona, which like neither of them are the starlet. They just like <laughs> moved in because she presumably fled to somewhere else. Um and they are, they like have money because uh, Luz, who's the woman, had like, you know, savings from her previous career. And so they're doing okay. And then one day they go down to like a big gathering festival thing and they see some very shady characters with a child and they're neglecting the child, and Luz ends up kidnapping the baby uh, from these, like, shady folks, and they sort of go on the run with the baby to try to find, like, a better place. They're like, well, now we have a baby. We can't just camp out here forever doing nothing. Like, we have to find a place where we can actually live. So they get in a car, and they start driving, and they end up in this desert camp run by a very charismatic man who believes that there's, like a special weird environment developing in the desert, like almost magical in a certain sense. And there's big chunks of this book that are just about the geography and like sand dunes. And there's a section where it's his like drawings of what he thinks like these new creatures in the desert are. And it's a, it's a weird book. Like while I was reading it, I was like, I don't know if I actually like this book or not. (laughs) But after finishing it, I still, I can't stop thinking about it. So clearly like it stuck with me. Um, And it's just really, it is also a book that's very in love, but also very aware of the desert's, potential pitfalls, even while it's like, this is majestic and amazing. And also it will probably kill us all. Uh, so <laughs> if that sounds good to you, <laughs> pick it up. So that's Gold Fame Citrus by Claire Vey Watkins. Okay. Question two is from Heather who says, I recently read Daughter of the Pirate King and it got me in the mood for other books featuring tough ladies on ships. I'm going to the Outer Banks in the end of July. So I'm looking for some books like this to take with me. Similar books I've read and enjoyed are Magonia, Passenger, The Girl from Everywhere, and Ahab's Wife. I'm open to all genres, but I prefer YA. Okay, I did this with a twist. <laughs> because <laughs> the book that I picked is absolutely about tough a tough lady on a ship. Um, but it's an airship. <laughs> so it's like well, a steampunk setting. Magonia has an airship. So yeah, you're yeah, fine. yeah. So I didn't yeah. think it was too far um, off base. So the guns above is a military science fiction, like naval science fiction, except the Navy is in the air. So the main character's name is Josette and she uh, exists in this universe or lives in this country where women, um, the airships are co-ed, like the military is co-ed, but women who are on board are uh, given what are called like auxiliary command. So they're not actually allowed to command the the vessel. Uh, They can only rise, but so far in the military ranks. And that is the state of things, um, for Josette. When the battle opens, I mean, when the book opens, uh, she is like 
bloodied and unconscious on the ground. And then you realize as you're, as you go with her, that she, um, is in the middle of this really big battle with her airship. And during the battle, all of her commanding officers are killed. And so she is left by like virtue of this chain of command. She's left in charge, but she's not supposed to be, she's not supposed to take over command of the ship, but if she doesn't do it, they're going to lose the battle. So she does, she takes over command of the ship, um, and wins the battle. A lot of people die, but she, she's like saved the majority of her crew. And, um, so she is awarded, uh, by her government with her own command. She's made the first female captain. And of course, you know, um, that comes with a lot of extra expectations because women don't just have to be good. They have to be twice as good, especially if they're in the position of like proving something about how capable they are. Um, so the book is about her dealing with that. Like she's got new command of this ship. Um, the government has sent along this like really obnoxious aristocrat, uh, named Lord Burnett to, um, basically stay on the ship and write down everything wrong that she does so the government can assemble a dossier for all the reasons why women should not be allowed to command. Um, and then there's this big move in the war, this like the tide turns in the war and she, everything like depends on her basically. Um, so it's this like really kick butt feminist book about women in the military and airships and steampunk and battles. And like, it's just great. It's like fun. It's fun. And she is such a great character um, because she's like, I mean, she's obviously very overtly a feminist character, but she's just trying to, like, do her job. Like, she cannot deal with all of this idiotic gender bias because she just wants to do the thing she loves, which is, like, fly the ship and be good at winning war. Like, that's what she wants to do. So uh, so that's The Guns Above by Robin Bennis. It just came out in May, and it's the first in a series. So, assumedly, there will be more. I love this question because I also love ladies on ships. Um, and my er girl on a ship book is the true confessions of Charlotte Doyle by Avi, but I didn't feel like it was fair to recommend that because like, that's a classic and you know, it won a Newberry or something and everybody loves it. And I, yeah, you, you know what that is. So anyway, <laughs> if you haven't read it yet, pick it up. It's like, you know, like a 200 pages long and you'll love it. Um, but so my other recommendation, that's not one that everybody has already heard of. Well, everybody should have heard of this is wild seed by Octavia Butler. It is the first in her pattern master series, which is one of my favorites of hers, um, which follows a two very gifted individuals who are also very different. So Doro is, um, you can't really call him a human cause he's like superhuman or he's an entity. I don't know, whatever. He can change bodies. Um, and also has like, you know, telekinesis and other powers. I can't remember exactly what his power set is. Um, and he basically like runs rampant and, you know, is the most powerful being in his experience. Until he meets Anyanwu, who is a shapeshifter who can heal and, like, change other people's biology and, like, do all of this intense... She can change her own biology because um, she's a shapeshifter. And he is... She's, like, very happily living her own life. She's got descendants. She's, like, you know, got her village that she takes care of. Like, she's cool. And then Dora comes along, and he's very power-hungry, and he's like, well, you're going to help me create, like, a master race of beings. And she's like, no, I don't want to do that. But he, <laughs> he, he, he basically, like more or less kidnaps her and is compelling her to to do what he wants. So she's like, well, Lord, I guess this is what's happening now. But um, the reason I picked this for you is because a 
chunk of this book does take place on a ship. They go from Africa to, like, New World, New York. Um, And because he's, like, setting up a compound in, like, you know, New Amsterdam, basically. Um, and uh, and she has to go with him. She turns into a dolphin. Super cool. Um, and there's some great sections on the ship in particular. And it's also the start of a great series. So if you haven't read P- the Pattern Master series yet, this is a great introduction to it. And there's, like, super cool boat stuff. Um, and also it's very complicated and, you know, intense. So uh, as Octavia Butler generally, is so that's wild seed by octavia butler i have still never i haven't read any octavia butler the Ooh, longer any well, okay we're gonna talk later about where you should okay. start we'll i have like her, make, i have like her collected works on my kindle app okay but i just yes. haven't I, well, at this point it's we'll like i'm so you, scared <laughs> i'm gonna make you a reading plan okay, great. i'm Thank like <laughs> i'm doing this mr burden's fingers over here i know it's ridiculous <laughs> It's cool. It means that you get to start fresh. Like, I wish I could read her again for the first time. That's a delightful experience. Okay, question three is from Alicia, who says, I'm looking for a book for my brother-in-law for his birthday. I I usually get him nonfiction social psychology books like Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely, Freakonomics, or anything by Malcolm Gladwell, which he really enjoys. After many years, though, I think my gifts might be a little too easy to foresee. Could you please recommend any works of fiction that would complement this type of book? Uh, You go first. This was really hard for me. I mean, I, I noodled on like novelized social psychology for a while. So where I landed is Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro, which is really hard to talk about because everything is a spoiler. <laughs> so um, the the book is about three friends, three like best friends who are students at this really exclusive boarding school in England, like off in the English countryside. And when you start reading the book, um, it seems very idyllic, like the school is, you know, I mean, like, rabbits on the green grass and sheep and English. Like, it's just very English. Um, They have a lot of... And then the farther you get, the more, of course, you realize that things are, like, not all cool. Like, there are a lot of odd rules about where the kids can and can't go, what they are and are not allowed to eat, the things that they are told about themselves, about how special and destined for greatness they are, which is, you know, a thing that kids hear, but, like, the way that it's put to these kids is very odd. Um, And then you jump from their school days up to when they are young women or when they are young adults. Um, And the narrator, Kathy, is, uh, like hasn't seen her two friends for a while when the book starts. And so they like are come back into her life for reasons that I can't tell you because of spoilers. But the reason that I picked it is because the, the, the thing about the big reveal, the thing that Kathy and her friends are in school for is such a, it's, it isn't of itself an examination of social, of social psychology and what we consider like what the definition of a human being is and the ways in which people can dehumanize others to use them for their own betterment and how as a society we uh, can turn a blind eye to that um, kind of behavior. So I can't really like, I mean, I, I don't know. I, it's an old enough book that I would kind of feel all right telling you like what it's actually about. But if, if a person hasn't seen the movie or read it, I, that's like a, the reveal is so like satisfying and shocking and I don't want to mess it up. So um, just trust me, I guess. <laughs> so that's Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. I picked my favorite book about a scientist, which is Bellwether by Connie Willis. Uh, the 
main character, Sandra Foster, is actually a scientist who studies fads um, for this corporation. So she works in this very, like... It's it's like a very caricature of an of a corporate environment. Like think the office or office space. Um, they do all kinds of like weird, like you know, dumb, you know, uh, what are, like icebreakers and like corporate wellness exercises. And she just like puts up with it because she really she is a very she's sort of the classic absent-minded scientist. And she loves watching trends. She like reads the classifieds because this was written in the '90s, so it's like sort of pre-major internet. Um, so. She she reads the classifieds and like watches what the kids in the hipster coffee shop she goes to wears and what they're listening to and tries to identify the trends. And she starts working with this other scientist, Bennett, who does uh, chaos theory via watching monkey group behavior. <laughs> um, and then they like get a flock of sheep as like part of their science. And th- like hijinks ensue. It's very hijinks. Um, it's very like pop culture and like very lightly scientific, but also like it's 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 all there on the page. Like all of that like Freakonomics and Malcolm Gladwell stuff. Like it's just like the fun version of that kind of science. Um, and it's just super enjoyable. I just, I love this book. It's light. It's fun. Um, it's very unexpected. Like you, it's not, not a lot of people have read this one. Like Connie Willis is, you know, has a following, but I feel like this one doesn't really fit into the rest of her works in the way that a lot of like, you know, it's not part of a series and it's not about time travel. Like it's just a very fun short book about science and how ridiculous people are. So what's not to love. So that's Bellwether by Connie Willis. Okay, question four is from Tammy, who says, I'm a devotee of Agatha Christie and Dickens, but I struggle to find a plentiful supply of well-written nonfictions on areas of my interest, which are Christian history, theology, religious practice, monasticism, apologetics, and biography. I recently read um, Ra Dreher's book, The Benedict Option. I really enjoyed his writing style, and the subject was fascinating. Um, If it helps, I've also read and enjoyed Timothy Keller, Karen Armstrong, C.S. Lewis, Um, When I ask for suggestions from booksellers, I'm often directed to authors like Joel Olstein, Joyce Meyer, and Beth Moore, who, while well-intentioned, are not my cup of tea. I need something meatier. I prefer an educated author. (laughs) That's some kind of shade right there. And or (laughs) I just side shade. I don't think that's what she intended, but that's fine. Um, I prefer an educated author and or one who engages in scholarly research. Okay. Um, So I the same. First of all, uh, so my general, I have a, I have a, I have a suggestion for you, but my general um, uh, guideline here is that the the authors that you listed who you've tried but don't like, the Joel Osteen, Joyce Meyer, Beth Moore, whatever, these are self helpy books from an evangelical tradition. So if you're looking for a meteor examination of Christian history or theology, stay away from people who who come from evangelical churches. Uh, in my personal experience. The better, more thoughtful writing is from uh, people from more mainline traditions. So that's uh, an aside. Um, so my suggestion for you is uh, Lauren F. Winner. Basically anything that she's written ever, but specifically Wearing God. She, um, Lauren Winner is so academic, which seems to be what you're after. She's taught at Princeton and Yale. She has a divinity degree from Duke. Um, and she taught at UVA for a while, I think, in Charlottesville. Um, but she was raised... Southern Baptist, I think, she and Jewish. She was an Orthodox Jew for a while and then converted to uh, the Episcopal Church, I think, or Anglican, I don't remember which. Um, and she is a um, author and preacher. What do they call? Preacher? Pastor? 
Yeah, I don't know pastor. The, the word for evangelical, I mean, uh, for Episcopal um, clergy. Anyway, so she did that for a while. And her the first book I read of hers was um, Mudhouse Sabbath, which is a kind of thoughtful comparison between um, her Christian faith and the ways in which Orthodox Judaism is kind of better. Like the, the, the ways that Christianity doesn't have a lot of the, the, the like sacramental sort of rituals stuff that Orthodox Judaism has and how Christian, uh, Christianity could be enriched by more of that. Um, but wearing God is like a almost literary examination of the metaphors for God in the Bible based on clothing, like the ways in which you're supposed to wear Christ, like a whatever robe. I don't remember the exact verse, but she, she takes these verses and then like breaks them down very thoughtfully. And it is, all of her books feel very academic. There's a lot of like citing of sources. Usually the source is like the biblical text, but she thinks about them in a very thoughtful way. And it's more uh, historical and um, comparative and less about like, here are 12 ways to be better at, I don't know, whatever, like, like Joyce Meyer's books tend to be. So anyway, um, so basically everything she wrote, Lauren F. Winter is who I'm recommending. <laughs> I'm going to throw an author name in here too. I have a different book for you, but I also, it just occurred to me that you would probably like Henri Nouwen. Um, it'll be in the show notes for you to look him up. I think probably anything he's written would appeal to you, but my recommendation for you is outside of Christianity. Um, and I'm really glad you asked this question because it gave me a chance to pick this book up for real and talk about it. It's Meeting Faith by Faith Adieli. Uh, the the subtitle is The Forest Journals of a Black Buddhist Nun. And what it's about is Faith is a, a biracial young woman who um, her mother is from Scandinavia um, and now lives in America, or is it Canada? I think they're, no, they're in the Pacific Northwest. And um, her father was a Nigerian student when he met her mother. And the parents don't live together. She's been raised by her mom. And she's like a very good student and studious and whatever. And when she's a teenager, she got sent on like a rotary sponsored trip to Thailand. And then she gets accepted into Harvard. She starts college and burns out. She has a mental breakdown. She just like cannot cope. And she ends up going back to Thailand as part of a fieldwork project for, I think, the University of Wisconsin and ends up taking vows and and becoming a Buddhist nun for a period of time. So she and then she ends up coming back to the West. And the book is about it's like comes from her diaries and journals and from this fieldwork project she did. And when she set out to do it, she set out to study the lives and like public perception of female Buddhist nuns. Uh, obviously, nuns is a female word, sorry, of Buddhist <laughs> nuns, like of, but female, you know, Buddhists who take vows, um, which are treated very differently from the monks, and ends up like going through it herself um, and, you know, not coming from a religious background or a spiritual tradition, like what that was like for her. Um, and she's a really good writer. I actually just also read her, I don't know if it's a long essay or a short. Like, what do you call it if it's a novella, but it's not fiction, um, about uh, her experience with, um, oh gosh, uh, it's the title includes lady problems. I'll put it in the show notes, but basically she has, like, fibroids, like, in her uterus. It's terrible. Um, but she she details, like, the process of discovering this and what the medical treatment was like in a really hilarious and terrible way. Um, so she's a great writer. I really enjoy her voice. And I'm, I'm, like, maybe a quarter of the way through this one, but she's, she's like, documenting, like, okay, how did I get here? Like, what did I have to have going into it? Like, how did somebody who is kind 
kind of lazy and like not interested in religion, you know, do 19 hour meditation and only eat once a day and spend Mm. days without talking. Like how, how did I come here and how, how, and it saved her life. She says it saved her life. So it's, it's really fascinating. She is a scholar as well as a person struggling to find her way in the world. And I think this will really fit into like the kind of faith narratives that you're looking for. So that's Meeting Faith, The Forest Journals of a Black Buddhist Nun by Faith Adiele. Sorry if I said that wrong. Okay, our next sponsor, which I am excited about, is Afrofuture Books, the first and only book box, uh, book subscription box for sci-fi, fantasy, and speculative works by black authors. Amazing. That's so, so each, rad. What I a know, great idea. It's so cool. <laughs> like, sign me up. They, they, each month they curate one or two titles with other, you know, book swag, like you do in your book subscription boxes, and deliver them to you. But their goal is to help you find, like, okay, so we love, you know, N.K. Jemison and Nettie Okorafor and Octavia Butler, but like, what else is out there? Their goal is to help you find less publicized authors with the goal of supporting diversity in science fiction and fantasy. Um, their July box is sold out but they are accepting orders for the August box and you can get 25% off your first box if you use the code GETBOOKED25. Uh, We'll put a link in the show notes and um, we'll pop the code in there too. But again, that's afrofuturebooks.com and use the code GETBOOKED25 to get 25% off your first box. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. All right, and still me. Our next question is from Allie, who says, do you have any recommendations for nonfiction, ideally narrative nonfiction, focused on England or Europe during the early 19th century? I'm not looking for a detailed description of the Napoleonic Wars or the War of 1812, but something that touches on the effects those wars had on society would be fascinating. I've been reading and rereading Jane Austen and contemporaries for years and realized that what I know about the period comes mostly from fiction and those Lucy Worsley docu-shows made by the BBC. (laughs) I already have What Jane Austen Ate and Charles Dickens New on my list, but other books covering similar topics would be great. I'm going to stop talking now. Okay, the docu-shows from the BBC are my favorite, and that is actually what got me to my recommendation for you, which is How to Be a Victorian by Ruth Goodman, who I am obsessed with. Um, And Ruth Goodman is one of the, not actors, but like whatever, uh, hosts, I guess, um, of Victorian Farm on the BBC, which... Also obsessed with that and Tudor Farm and Victorian Pharmacy, which is great uh, also. Um, So the Victorian era is a little bit later than what you're asking for, obviously. Uh, Austin and the War of 1812 were like 30 or 40 years. I don't know. I don't remember when Victoria was um, crowned. So I don't know when the era starts, like what year exactly. Um, But I think that this would still be educational enough for you about the everyday life of 19th century um, people in England. Um, So How to Be a Victorian is very much about that. Like it's not at all about uh, great man history or, or um, war bat- like battles or any of that sort of thing. It's about like what middle class and uh, lower class Victorian people did from the time that they woke up until they went to bed. So the book is split into uh, like morning, afternoon, and evening, and what the Victorians did like for breakfast and what their underwear was like. And if you don't have an alarm clock, how do you know when to wake up? And that kind of stuff. And then their working lives, um, so common 
jobs that people would have, how they got to work, um, what women did all day, that sort of stuff. And then stuff they did for recreation and then what they did at night, um, entertainment, dinner, um, all kinds of things. So uh, this is the kind of history that I really love, which is also why I love the the docu shows on on the BBC. Um, But you'll just learn the most random stuff that, you you know, you can read Austin and Dickens all day, but um, that, that you won't get. Like, um, you know, if you didn't have an alarm clock, they, there was you could hire a guy called a knocker upper who would like literally walk down the street with a giant stick, knock on people's windows to wake you up. Like that's Whoa. I know really that was, that's yes. amazing. Yes, that was that was your alarm clock. You you like paid a man money. To, now now who was his but alarm how clock? Is what know I want to know. Time it was. Exactly. How did he wake up? I don't know. Um, and of course, the, like the stuff about what we used to feed babies during Victorian era. So, so like, oh no. Cooking with coal, like that sensory experience is so different from even like cooking with wood or anything that we can imagine now, obviously. Um, but like how it got soot in all of your food and just ugh, the everyday experience of being a, a person alive in like 1850 in England is sometimes a little bit hard to fathom. So that's How to Be a Victorian by Ruth Goodman. She has also written, um, I think, How to Be a Tutor. So yeah. if you like her uh, style of history, then you can go check out her other stuff. I do not have exactly narrative nonfiction for you, but I think you're going to like my pick anyway. It's The Writer's Guide to Everyday Life in Regency and Victorian England by Christine Hughes. And I first came across this book uh, when I was a bookseller working a table, like a book table at a romance convention, and which was obviously like a delightful job. <laughs> and there was a ton of romance novels, but there were also reference books. And this is like a reference book that has a ton of details about life during the Regency and Victorian um, eras, specifically in England. So, like, you know, what the heck is in milk punch? And um, (laughs) what four coats a gentleman has to have in his wardrobe? And, like, how to promenade? And also, like, what is, you know, how did, what did, like, what were the lives like for people who worked? Like, what is a milkmaid's life? Like, and, like, what were the slang words? Um, So it's, you know, it's meant for people who are writing uh, novels about, you know, Regency and Victorian England. But, like, all of this is the stuff that you are wanting to find. And I thought it also might be cool for you to have a reference book because then when you're reading like Jane Austen or Dickens or whoever and you come across something you don't know, you can like look it up in the reference guide and be like, aha, now I know that thing. And this is the kind of the book that gives you a case of the did you knows, right? Like you like I I remember flipping through it at the conference and be like, oh, my gosh, did you guys know? Blah, 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 blah. Like it's very which I find super enjoyable. Um, So I thought this might be like it's not a book you're necessarily going to sit down and read cover to cover, but it's super fun to sort of page through and like look up things and, you know, what does that word mean? How did they do this? Like it's all in there. So that's the writer's guide to everyday life in Regency and Victorian England by Christine Hughes. Okay, question six is from Katrina, who says, I'm just getting into romance novels, and for the most part, I'm enjoying them more than I thought I would. There's just one stumbling block. I hate the getting together part. Meet cutes are nice and all, but the awkward encounters, boundaries of being together, denying feelings, I can't stand. Do you have any recommendations for books that start with an established relationship? Um, I'm not sure if this makes it harder, but I love poly or queer relationships as opposed to the typical cis-set couple. I do not mind if the book contains smut or kink. All right. <clears throat> um... So <laughs> there, uh, I'm trying to like formulate my thoughts. Um, my pick for you is not quite a husband by Sherry Thomas, which is a Regency um, historical romance. 
where there is no denying feelings, they hate each other openly. Like there's just open, not excited to be around you-ness in this relationship. So there's definitely no meet cute. Um, when the book opens, the hero and the heroine have been separated for, I think, two years. Um, the the heroine, Bryony, is brilliant. She wants to be a doctor, which of course in Regency England is unacceptable entirely. Um, and so she's living in India by herself, working as a doctor as she wants to, um, having left her <clears throat> husband years ago. Uh, so he shows up one day, much to her befuddlement and irritation, uh, with a message that her father is sick and she needs to come home. And he's there to escort her back. So um, the book follow is like you're with them for the two, the, not two weeks, it's like several weeks that it takes for them to get from India back to England and their attempts to kind of repair their relationship, but not really because they really don't like each other that much. Um, and the re I'm not, it's kind of a spoiler um, why their marriage fell apart. They were only married for like a couple of weeks. I mean, they're still married, but they were only together in the same house for a couple of weeks and then everything kind of fell apart and she left. Um, and so it's the reason why I like this book is that they're both really um, messed up. <laughs> uh, like they both have a lot of personal problems that do and don't have anything to do with each other. Like, um, Bryony has a lot of insecurity about whether or not she can maintain a marriage while doing this thing that society finds completely unacceptable, especially to someone like her husband who is an aristocrat. Um, and so she doesn't know if like she should have even married him in the first place. Uh, her husband made a lot of mistakes that she caught him making and he didn't realize she knew. So there's just, there's like layers of complication here. So I wouldn't classify this as like a sweet meet cute, um, you know, someone sent a text message that someone else misinterpreted kind of romance. This is like problems, like they have problems and they're stuck together um, because they have to travel from India to, to England and that, you know, takes a while. So that's Not Quite a Husband by Sherry Thomas. I love Sherry Thomas. She's so good. Um, okay, my pick for you is a contemporary. You said you did not mind if it contains smut or kink, so, you know, prepare. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's Pansies by Alexis Hall, which is part of his Spires Universe series. I actually haven't read this one yet, but I've read others in the series, and I love them. And I was looking through the, I wanted to find you a queer one, um, and... I was looking through and I thought this one might be perfect for you. So it is about two men. Um, one of them is named Alfie. He is very successful. He's got a six-figure salary. He's got a penthouse. He's got a nice car. He's got fancy London friends. But he came from a place called South Shields. Like, and he, you know, grew up like a little bit rough. And it's, you know, he's made good. But like, he doesn't like to think about where he came from. So he goes back and he ends up having a one night stand with another man named Fen who is like the very much like he's got pink hair and hipster glasses and like lives life out loud, which is not Alfie's style at all. Mm -hmm. um, and Alfie's like, oh, I need to see more of this person, except the problem is that when they were at school, Fen was out and Alfie was a jerk to him because he was like trying to be like you know the proper popular whatever guy um and get out and of course so you know he made 
his life he was part of making Fen's life young life miserable and Fen like may have slept with him once but he's not like gonna jump into a relationship with um with this guy who like made his you know teenage years bad so they have a lot of things to work through but they are like they know each other from before so there's issues but it's not the same as like oh I don't know if he likes me like that's not what's going on here so I think you might enjoy it and you are sure to get kink and smut with Alexis Hall who is excellent uh so that is Pansies by Alexis Hall Oh, it's me. Okay. Our next question is from someone who says, I'm working through Book Ride's 2017 Read Harder Challenge. I'm planning to complete the requirements by reading only books written by women. I was wondering if you would be able to give suggestions for two tasks, a nonfiction book about technology and read a collection of poetry in translation on a theme other than love. Both of these requirements are far outside my normal reading choices. All right. I'm just going to keep talking. So I have have for you a book that I'm a big fan of. It's called Scatter, Adapt, and Remember by Annalee Newitz, uh, subtitle How Humans Will Survive a Mass Extinction. And one of the things I love about this book is that Newitz starts it out in the introduction saying, like, she set out to write a piece about how basically how humanity is doomed. Um, And she started doing all this research and talking to scientists and reading all of these, you know, narratives about extinction. And it actually made her more hopeful. Like, the research that she did was like, you know what, like maybe we're not doomed. Like, maybe we could be okay. Uh, And so the book is her laying out, like, okay, Earth has survived, life on Earth has survived five mass extinctions, and it's possible that we're already into a sixth one, but, like, life has, you know, life will find a way, to quote our Jurassic Park, you know, boyfriend. Um, And so... And so so she's thinking about how, like, based on what has happened before and based on the technology that we have available to us, like, how might we find a way again? And how might we not just, like, survive but actually thrive, like, and, you know, get more than just yourself out? Like, okay, so maybe you have a bunker with, like, a bunch of beans and some water, but, like, that's not a, that's not going to keep humanity alive. Like, how do we keep humanity moving? So it's, 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 it's definitely science, but it's also, you know, it's all about... About, like how our technology could help us move forward, like space elevators and, you know, math for pandemics and like, you know, I don't know, all of these different technologies that we could use to keep humanity going. Um, so that is my pick for you. I think it's a really interesting book. It also, if you if you read any like, you know, dystopias or whatever, it's interesting to see sort of a science-y version of it. So that Scatter, Adapt, and Remember, How Humans Will Survive a Mass Extinction by Annalee Newitz. Okay, so a collection of poetry and translation on a theme other than love. I am going with The Complete Poems of Anna Akhmatova, which is, of course, by Anna Akhmatova. It's translated by Judith Hemschmeyer. Sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Um, And this is a huge volume. It's like 800 poems. It's got photographs, a a chronology, kind of a, a, a biography of the poet. And the thing about Akhmatova is that she was born... um, in the late 1800s, and so she saw Russia through the revolution, the First World War, the Second World War, the Soviet Union. Um, she was like, she had to flee persecution under Stalin. Um, her son was also persecuted uh, by the um, the like political by the communist regime. She, her poems are are like these heartbreaking works of 
political consciousness about like what it is to be Russian when when Russia itself is a different thing every five years and not just a different thing, but a different thing that, you know, the transition is like resulting in the death of millions of people. So she had a very difficult life and she saw a lot of horrible things and her poems are kind of about that. Um, and about, um, well, I mean, she was called like the, I think the moral, the moral voice or the moral consciousness or something of Russia for a long time before Stalin had her kind of not kicked out, but, um, she had to like go into hiding and all those kind of things. But um, so they're very, very political and uh, critical of almost every political era um, of her lifetime, almost. Um, so there's not there's not much here about like romance um, in her poems. I mean, the, th- the thing the things that she's saying that are, are about love are mostly about Russia. So, so it's not entirely unabout love, but it's probably not about what we meant when we made the task. So anyway, that's the complete poems of Anna Akhmatova, um, translated by Judith Hemschmeyer. Again, sorry if I said that wrong. Alrighty. Um, question eight. This is from Lindsay, who says, recently one of my cousins has been posting a lot of misinformed and Islamophobic memes about oppressed Muslim women. She's trying to claim that she is so grateful for women's rights. Well, I know that a burqa is no more oppressive than a bikini. I don't know enough about Islam and Muslim culture in the Middle East. Uh, my cousin conveniently forgets that Muslims live literally everywhere else as well to respond with more than anecdotes. Do you know of any books that critique the Western perception of women's rights in the Middle East? Own voices is definitely preferred. Okay. Um, yes. I went with... <laughs> is the answer to your question? Um, I went with Muslim Girl, a coming-of-age story. It's by Amani uh, al Katat. Sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Um, she founded MuslimGirl.com, which is like this, uh, it's a website she made after 9-11 uh, to provide a platform for the voices of Muslim women and girls uh, at a time, you know, right after 9-11 when everybody was talking about Muslim women, but no one was like actually asking Muslim women what their lives were like. Um, so when she was, no, she, 9-11 happened when Amani was uh, nine or 10 years old. I don't remember which. And she lived in New Jersey. And so she started experiencing very um, pointed racism as many Muslims did at that time in America. Um, and so when she was 11, of course, the invasion of Iraq started. And then she left shortly after that. I think she was a, a teenager, very like 13 or 14. Her family went back to Jordan for a long time, for almost a year. Um, and so that experience of living in Jordan after having been in the U.S. and seeing like what her fellow citizens think being a Muslim girl is, is like going to Jordan and then seeing that experience and having that experience were um, very different, kind of diametrically opposed. And so she came back, and as an adult, she started this website, and she's the editor-in-chief still, and she works as an activist. Um, and the point of her site and her book, it, um, and in the book she covers both the website and it co- it goes up to now to the 2016 election cycle and how Trump is using Islamophobia um, as a as a way to unite racists under him essentially um, and so she in the book talks about that she talks about her her choice to wear a headscarf and how it's a feminist statement um, and it is essentially a a um, not slap in the face but like a a retort to these things that your cousin is saying that like. Islam is essentially unfeminist and all of that. Like this is a 
a retort to that idea. It's from a woman who grew up Muslim and has experienced that culture from birth. Uh, and so, like, what do you – just hand this to her, basically, is what I'm saying. Or she could send it to the website, muslimgirl.com, you know. Um, and also, I would recommend unfollowing her on Facebook because that sounds like a lot of stress for you. So that's Muslim Girl, A Coming-of-Age Story by Amani Al-Katabe. All right. I picked a book that I have been hearing so much about. It's on my TBR. Um, and it's like, you know, the author's problem is not a hud scarf. Uh, it is that she was not allowed to drive. So it's Daring to Drive, A Saudi Woman's Awakening by Manal Al-Sharif. Uh, and it is a memoir. She grew up in Mecca. She is like, a, you know, y- the younger daughter of a taxi driver. Um, and she grew up while fundamentalism was taking hold. Um, and so when she was young, she was herself a religious radical. Like, you know, she melted her brother's cassettes because the music was Western or whatever. Um, But then she went to college and in her 20s, she became a computer security engineer, which is not a role that a lot of women have in um, Saudi Arabia. And so she was working in a place where it was mostly men. Uh, She like had a car but wasn't allowed to drive it. Um, She had to get chaperoned by her teenage brother on a business trip. Like these are the real problems that, you know, Muslim women are facing in for example, Saudi Arabia. And so it's about how she started to, like, take control and try to fight back against these laws that just, like, fundamentally didn't make sense. Like, if she could have this job, why couldn't she drive to work? Like, at the most basic level, like, why is that not allowed? Um, and so it's, you know, it's a personal look at somebody who is still devout, you know, and the cover she is wearing her hijab. Um, but it's not about that. Like, it's about the real rights and things that they're fighting for. So, you know, a lot of Western feminism slash white feminism focuses on these sort of cosmetic, like, you know, visual things about you know, what we think that other people should have or should not have. And like, how about you listen to somebody tell you about their actual problems? Like, that's what we should be doing. So that this book is a good step towards that. So that's Daring to Drive, A Saudi Woman's Awakening by Manal Al-Sharif. And she's done a bunch of interviews, if you want to go looking. Um, I think she was on NPR, among other places. And, you know, the, the interviews are all really interesting. So definitely seek that out. And that's our show. Is that Ta-da. our show? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, that's it. We did it. Am I lying? <laughs> okay. Um, so thank you all so much for listening. Please go leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It makes the show easier to find when people are searching for it. Um, thank you so much to our sponsors. And you can find us on social media. I am on Instagram mostly these days at I'm Amanda Nelson. And Jen, where are you? I am mostly on Tumblr these days at jenirl.tumblr.com. And that's Jen with two N's. And we will talk to you all next week. 